Legion of Dogs, your free resource for multi-dog living. All right, let's talk about okay. our uh, topic for today, Jade. Reactivity in a multi-dog home. That's super fun. I live with that one. Me too. Yay! Yay! <laughs> yay! <laughs> Not yay. I hate it. Yeah, it makes it uh, so much harder. But I think when we have multiple dogs, especially you and I, we get, you have a huge variety of dogs. Not at the moment. Well, you will soon. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's a big difference between Aussies, working Aussies, and a Chihuahua. Yes. And yes. Then- I've had more variety in the past, though. This is the most all breeds I've ever had at a time that were the same. And then... Like- Usually I have like four different kinds. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, makes it so easy when they speak the same language. My house, I've got the golden retriever cross who's blind, the anxious border collie who has some reactivity and resource guarding, and then the American Eskimo. And I mean, and then Enzo who's perfect, but I mean, it makes for interesting times. Yeah, it does. We decided to go all the same breed and then promptly got a new breed. <laughs> and then the second new breed. I'm terrible. I like all the breeds. Uh, It's very hard, very, very hard to not have all the breeds. Yeah. It would be hard for me not to have a little squishable, cuddly, cutesy dog. Oh, you got to have a pocket dog. But I just saw this video too. Um, My friend Amy sent it to me of an eagle attacking a dog that's bigger than Riker. I totally saw that same video. I love social media. We all see the same things now. Uh, Yeah. So when I saw that video, I actually thought about getting those coyote vests. Yeah. But with the Aussies, I don't actually have to worry about my little dogs because the Aussies go out with them always. And they are close. Like mm-hmm. he, Remo uses them as personal bodyguards. That's and sweet. when he goes out to go to the bathroom, and this is the only time he barks, even though he's a chihuahua, is he goes outside and he will bark nonstop while he's peeing and pooping. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it's to create like a presence. And then he's got Fable standing right there. So it would be pretty bold of a bird yeah. to try and take him in that circumstance. When we're camping though, I'm really careful. But he's yeah. usually attached to me. That's like why he's so little it's convenient I live as you know in the middle of nowhere and Riker doesn't stick close he actually actively avoids my other dogs so I do worry about him I don't worry about him with eagles here he's big enough but like that was an eagle but it was Alaska so I'd like to think that they're more aggressive or something I don't know no way they're the same eagles (laughs) (laughs) but I think that is a one-off too I don't I do worry about Riker with cougars and bears I don't really worry about him we have a we have great horned owls that nest in the yard and we have barred owls that bring their fledglings here I would worry if I had a chihuahua well you could get a coyote vest I could I'm not too worried about him yeah and he's loud and he's he's pretty smart so when we're hiking sometimes he'll tuck in behind me like he'll tuck in right by my foot and go and that means something is well, that right? dog in the video got away and what was it yeah. what kind of dog was it? i can't remember i don't i couldn't really tell but it was like a shiba sized dog because the other dog that was defending him looked like a shiba okay yeah it wasn't tiny tiny that's for sure no, about riker size like a 20 pound dog yeah 15 20 pound dog 
I mean, there's lots of wildlife that'll go after your dogs in general. Yeah, you can't bubble wrap them. No, no. You gotta let them live their lives. Yes. But you can coyote vest them. If, if I lived in an area with coyotes, I'd have a coyote vest on them. I do know a dog trainer whose chihuahua got scooped by, we believe it was an owl. She, he came running in the house screaming in serious punctures. Mm. And he got and away. Yeah, he got away. And then she took him to the vet. He, he was okay, but he was seriously injured. And that was in Alberta. My neighbor's Shih Tzu, 12 pounds, was picked up by an owl. The owl dropped it, but it needed surgery. Yeah. And then in our neighborhood, like in our hiking area, I know of multiple Chihuahua types that have been eaten by cougars. Yeah. I've heard about little tiny dogs being eaten by cougars too here, but nothing Riker size. Victoria is different down South Island. Like the animals are a little bit more habituated down there in souk and things, but up here, I haven't heard of anything other than tiny, tiny dogs. Well, folks, Weigh your wildlife and decide if you need coyote vests. <laughs> Moral <laughs> of this conversation. <laughs> or tethers and more Aussies. <laughs> yeah, Aussies are great bodyguards. Everyone should just get an Aussie to protect their small dogs and uh, it'll be smooth sailing. Not, not at all. Don't do that. <laughs> no, everybody should not get an Aussie. Only specific people that want an Aussie should get an Aussie. <laughs> it'll be quite crazy. Okay, so that we'll talk about reactivity in a multi-dog home because I have Aussies and um, Aussies and reactivity go hand in hand. And I have an American Eskimo. (laughs) (laughs) And you could say the same thing about him. And my my one border collie is not at all reactive, but my young one is. So we both live with reactivity in a multi-dog home. Yeah, so I think it can affect you in different ways spaces of living with the dogs too. Like I have experienced really problematic behavior with reactivity through the fence because I'm in an urban area. So that can be multiple times a day problem where one dog's reacting at the fence and then it's contagious or it results in redirection. That's fun. And then there's reactivity in vehicles, mm-hmm. which I don't deal with anymore because I changed my vehicle setup, but we can talk about that too. And then we have reactivity if we're trying to walk the dogs together. Mm-hmm. Really frustrating. <laughs> <And> so <laughs> we have to figure out where we want to start on this one because it kind of, it does, it has a lot of topics. Yes. And at my house, the reactivity looks a little different. I do have the reactivity um, box together. And my reactivity in the home is pretty much non-existent now that Jubilee is feeling well. So it was mostly based around her not feeling well. And now that that's good, it's gone. But I do have to watch them around mealtimes. So it's more of a, a time of day. If everyone's hungry, then I'm much more likely to have an issue at doorways or around resources. Whereas that's during the middle of the day, I don't, I don't have any issues. Like I left them alone altogether, all out. And I, I do that all the time. And I don't worry about it. But I wouldn't leave them all alone out roaming the house um, if dinner was going to be late. Cause I would, I don't think that would be a wise decision. I've never noticed a link to time of day with the reactivity. Now I'm going to track this. <laughs> well, I think my reactivity <laughs> risk Jubilee is based in resource guarding. Mm-hmm. So if she's hungry and if Riker is also a resource guarder and if he's hungry, then they're just a little bit more edgier and might be more likely to guard the areas where I feed them. Like, 
um, the training area or maybe a sleeping space where they think they might get a cookie or something like that. Okay, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. my, my reactivity in my dogs is related to external triggers. Mm. People and dogs, pretty much exclusively. So how do you manage or train? What do you do about the fence reactivity and the redirection for like people or dogs walking by your home? Okay, so this was a massive issue with previous dogs of mine. I had a pointer and, well, an Australian shepherd, of course. <laughs> and um, the Australian shepherd was, from the day I got him, barrier reactive. Um, he was pretty much the perfect dog besides that, but he came with that feature <laughs> as a baby. And um, his barrier reactivity created reactivity in the pointer because I did not manage it soon enough. Um, really big mistake. I just have never had a redirection before those two dogs. So it wasn't as concerning. So what we had to do was we had to create more separation from our fence line because we lived in a really urban area. Like we had really regular people um walking by the house and then we had dogs that lived on both sides of us so um and then we had an alley behind us where people would walk through the alley so we could essentially have triggers on all four sides of the yard so what we did was we built the dog run off the house um so they couldn't access the main fence unless i was there and then um that stopped the fence reactivity so then the risk of redirection was um, resolved. And what do you mean by redirection? What did that look like? Okay, so the Aussie would start to react at the fence and then the pointer would promptly jump on him and start biting his neck and head. Yeah, so the pointer was saying, this is overwhelming, you're out of control and trying yes. to control the Aussie? So the pointer's reaction to over arousal was to redirect on the closest dog. Ah, regardless of whether or not that dog was the one that was excited yeah, at the time? Yeah, yeah. Because ah. he would choose any of the other dogs in the family if they were closer. Oh, that's hard. Yeah, it was very, very hard. But the, the fence within a fence resolved that issue in that situation. And you said if you were out with them, could they all be out in the yard or did you just take select dogs at a time? Like, did you do separation in the main yard or if you were present, was it fine if they were all there? So if I was there, it was fine. Um, mostly because the Aussie would not react if I was present. Ah, and he you... was extremely well-trained. Ah. So there would be, there would be no trigger anymore if I was there because his focus was then on me. Gotcha. And the other dogs that lived in our home at the time were not reactive. So they wouldn't have a reaction to dogs or people going by. So then the pointer did not get triggered. Mm. Yeah. Makes sense. Yes. And then at a certain point, the pointer decided he could jump out of the dog run. <laughs> but that didn't matter anymore because then the dogs were not together because the Aussie did not jump out of the dog run. Right. Yeah. So even when he got creative, it was fine still. <laughs> now I've had reactivity with the current dogs in my current yard, which is also really busy. I live near a high school. So people walk by twice a day in huge groups. Mm -hmm. I've had them do puppy socialization on my lawn beside my fence. I've seen that. <laughs> yeah, it's super awesome. Um, so I have one dog now that's reactive to that. The other three dogs in my house are not. So when we first moved here, I had to do a lot of work with her on recall back into the house. 
And now her go-to is to bark at the fence once and then run inside. And the other dogs have remained not reactive, so they have not caught on to this behavior, which is not what I see on walks. They do, she did spread it on walks, but she did not spread the behavior in the yard situation. <laughs> and I think that's fair. Aussies do have guardian tendencies. It's part of what they're bred for. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to live in an urban environment, for her to bark once at murderers walking down the street and then come inside, <laughs> I think that's I think that's great. Uh, behavior. I think that's a fair expectation. Yeah, we're comfortable with that. I mean, it lets people know there is a dog here, mm-hmm. which is nice, um, but it's not excessive. It doesn't bother the neighbors and it's managed pretty well. Yeah. So, yeah. So that one's resolved in my current situation. I think it's really common though. I see a lot of clients with this problem where their dog will be reacting at the fence and then their next dog or their other dogs in the house will start to do it too. Mm-hmm. And honestly, my best advice for them is always, you need to go out in the yard with the dogs. You need to work on a recall and you need to work on reducing that arousal when there's people and dogs walking by your yard. And if you put that work in, it actually will go away. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of like the nice part of the reactivity work is even if it's like all five of your dogs barking at the fence together in tandem, you can work through it. Oh, for sure. I think that as long as people are willing to supervise their dogs, then it's easy. It it takes time and we have to be careful things like with your pointer, the redirection, we might need to break them up into groups. Um, But I think it's a very trainable scenario. Totally. Yeah. Um, You have to break it down depending on the individual dogs. mm -hmm. And then you might want to set up management like a dog run. So your dog can't access your external fence. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not the cheapest option, but it was nice. Then our yard was super clean and we could eat. (laughs) There wasn't dog poo everywhere. So there's like positives to doing that too. I think people think of structure as punishment for the dogs, but adding boundaries and structure is kind and sets them up for success. So whether that's a fence, an X-pen, a leash, um, adding those structure that structure in place is often kind to your dogs because then they're not rehearsing being overwhelmed and overexcited because they don't it doesn't feel good to anybody um no you see a a massive reduce reduction in the anxiety the dog's experiencing Mm -hmm. yeah I i have a similar thing that i just thought of as we're talking about it um my dogs have never been reactive to my horses and then i brought home a little mexican street dog who thought horses were probably going to murder his whole family. And if they ran, he was good if they're still, but if they ran, he would react at the fence towards them. And that, that's not safe because um, he could get kicked in the head. And then my little American Eskimo thought this is a fun game. So he picked up that fun, fun game. And then my youngest border collie picked up that game learned it from him. Um, and then my older border collie has started going, well, this is fun. So it does spread. And so I just manage that if the horses are out where they can run past the dog yard, the dogs aren't out unsupervised. That makes complete sense. And, and yeah, reactivity I'm, is crazy contagious. Oh yeah. It's, you know, that's pack dynamics. It's, it's how we survive. If, if you're, I was going to say, you know, in a mall, <laughs> but we're in Canada, if you're somewhere and you see the mob running afraid, you're going to go 
I should leave, you're not necessarily going to figure out what's going on. Or if your family starts, you know, bearing arms and getting ready to fight, you're going to jump in there and help them. Yeah. And I have found my reactive dogs, my reactive Aussies, I should say, (laughs) enjoy being reactive. It is self-reinforcing behavior. They love it. There's like this look of euphoria. (laughs) Their body is excited. Like they look the same as if we're playing a high arousal sport, like disc or fly ball. Like they're into it. They want to chase and they want to bark and they want to control movement. And it's all their instincts coming out to play. So it's, you have to train something else because otherwise they enjoy it. Yeah. I do think that, especially for dogs that have been bred breeds that have been bred to guard, uh, that is intrinsically reinforcing to guard. Mm-hmm. Um, no different than a retriever likes being in the water. Like my, my retriever mix will lie down in any two inch puddle and try to swim. I mean, that's just <laughs> being in water feels good intrinsically because she was bred to be in water and same with guardian types. But I do think that some dogs like my border collie, it's fear-based. So yes. for her, I don't see. So, okay. I have, um, I allow guarding people walking by my property. My fence is huge. Like the, the field is, or the trail is very far away from my deck and the American Eskimo who is bred as a guardian. Um, he loves guarding the property. And I think it's actually healthy as long as it's not excessive. So on a Saturday afternoon and it's sunny and everyone's walking, I'll bring him inside because I think at that point it's excessive and it's not healthy for him. But when my border colleague joins in on those behaviors, I don't see the same emotional responses in her. I think she's doing it and she'd rather not be doing it, but she thinks she has to, to stay safe. Um, but the yeah. Eskimo loves it. So I think that the individual dogs, dogs are individuals considering their breeds, consider who they, that dog is matters in the picture as well. For sure. For sure. Cause I'll see a different type of reactivity. If like a person's walking into my house that mm-hmm. I would see at a fence line. Yeah. And I have one dog who is the one that is the fence guarder who is reactive when people come to the door and it is not a fun reactivity. The body language is so different. Yeah. And it's, it's way more nervous. Mm-hmm. We see the backwards motion. We see the low tail. And yes, my Aussies have tails helps with body language. <laughs> <laughs> and her eyes are just, her pupils are huge. And she's just, she's very backwards, but she wants to see what's going on still because that instinct's there. So we do see that different behavior depending on the situation that's causing the reactivity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, do you want to talk about car reactivity now? Um, yeah, I actually have never had car reactivity in any of my dogs. I have. It was fantastic, <laughs> especially when you have to take a ferry to go to the mainland and back to the island you live on. <laughs> <laughs> so my boy, who's no longer with us that we talked about earlier, who had very reactivity since puppyhood, was reactive in the car. And I used to own an Impreza which is a fairly small car when you own multiple dogs. I mean, I also owned a Jeep Wrangler, but my husband would commandeer it and leave me with a small car and all the dogs. And there was not a way to kennel all the dogs in that vehicle. Mm -hmm. So when they were in that vehicle, they could see out the windows, they could see people going by. 
And I was doing a lot of makeshift management. I was bringing a tarp with me and I was tarping my car when I was parked. Wow. Very, it was, it was very stressful. I had to muzzle um, the pointer in that situation because he would redirect and all the dogs would be in a state of stress. So it sucked. So when I decided to get a new vehicle, I got a van and I blocked out all the windows in the back. So I look like the creepy guy for sure. <laughs> but my dogs no longer can see out my vehicle. Yeah. And it's so valuable. Like if honestly, if you have the financial means to do it and my van is not new, it did not cost a lot of money. It is worthwhile having a vehicle where you can either crate the dogs where they can't see out or you buy a vehicle that's large enough where they just like you can fully enclose or make a space for them. And I've seen people do this with trucks. Um, mm -hmm. They put the backers on the trucks and then they can block out the windows, but still open them to vent. And, like there's lots of different options to making your dog, like not be able to see things in a vehicle. And honestly, it's the easiest way to deal with it. There aren't a lot of safe training plans for you to implement while you're driving. Yeah. And if, yeah. if your reactivity is happening while you're actually operating your car and not just when you're stopped, like that's even more true. I have seen some cool stuff where people have done PVC pipes from the driver's area where you could drop treats into the pipe <laughs> and it like flows back to where the dogs are. But if your dogs have resource guarding at all, you could only do yeah. this one dog at a time. And again, like for driving with our dogs, crating is ideal. Yeah. So this is always the first thing. If someone's dog's barking in the car, the first thing I'm going to say, do you have a crate? Can you fit a crate? Can you cover the crate? Just stop the problem from happening. The dog is then going to rehearse being in the car and not reacting. That's the number one thing. If you can stop them from rehearsing the behavior we don't like, if it's a young dog or the problem isn't super well established, just doing that for a while while the dog develops and builds new habits, and then we slowly take the cover off the crate, that can just fix the problem. Yeah. Now I have had clients do some cool stuff that I'll mention just in case, because I like mm -hmm. to give people options. I have one client that tinted their windows, but backwards. So mm. they did the external tinting inside the back windows of their car. That actually helped their dog just fine. They only had one reactive dog in that case. And then I had another client who had two reactive dogs. They were quite large. There was not room for crates. And what they did, because luckily they had a partner, they would only drive the dogs if both humans were available. Mm. And they committed to a, like a pretty lengthy period of time to one dog, one person in the back, one person driving, other dogs stayed home. And they trained a settle in the back seat. Smart. And then when they went to work the dogs together, there was a human dedicated to training while there was a human dedicated to driving. Yeah. And they also practiced doing this like at night when there was like not things that their dog was going <laughs> to see. Other like they did a, so many things to make it work and they did resolve it. But to me, that would be just so much harder than getting like trade the vehicle in and get a more conducive view. Yeah. If you're going to have large dogs, having a vehicle that fits them, especially if you have multiples, um, if you only have one dog, you know, you can just give them a bone or a Kong, or for instance, I have dogs that are only reactive when they pull into a parking lot. So just before the parking lot, they pull over, pull the Kong out of the glove box, give the dog a Kong. But if you have multiple dogs and you're going to put them in a high tension environment where they might be reactive, I don't, is, unless you know your dogs really well, it might not be safe to give them high value chews in that environment. But I do have 
a tool that I've been using pretty reliably for the last year now. That's really, really helping with car reactivity for dogs that where the owner can't fit a crate or for some reason the dog can't be crated in the vehicle. And that's a calming cap. Oh yeah. I love you know calming caps and you can even make one out of a toque. You don't even have to buy one. I was thinking about using one of those just for reactivity in general with one of my dogs. So I'm <laughs> glad you brought up calming caps. I if your dog them. won't remove it off themselves, it's good. <laughs> <laughs> they, uh, um, yeah, I have one right now, one client, they have a great Dane and they just did a road trip from here to, I don't know, somewhere in Alberta and back. They put on 4k um, 400, 4,000 kilometers. And when they were in an urban area, like when they weren't just on the highway, um, she just had her calming cap on. She's great. Um, lots of dogs do really well with that. If they'll wear the calming cap and you can do some training and stuff around that too, but that's awesome. That's, that's my go-to right now. If you can't fit a crate for whatever reason. Yeah. And you could do something like a rec spec or something with like a mm -hmm. tint or a painted lens. Like yep. there's lots of products out there for blocking visibility if you really want to. I like the calming caps too, because a lot of them, they can actually still see through a little bit. Mm -hmm. So I think the animal doesn't feel as um, restricted, but it blocks most of the visual stimuli. So you have to play with kind of what works, rec specs or full blocking the vision or not. Yeah. What works best for each dog. Yeah, every situation is unique. Mm -hmm. Well, we should talk about reactivity and walks. <laughs> that, that's the hardest one. Yeah, I honestly, I just don't walk my two youngest together. I have four dogs. And unless I'm going somewhere where I know I'm not likely to run into certain things that they might be reactive to, then I just, I just don't walk them together. That's just the simplest thing for me. So that's usually my solution for people too. However, <laughs> my youngest Aussie is like, she's, I don't even know if I want to call it reactivity. She's definitely reactive to dogs, but she's like overstimulated in almost any new environment. So like I get to a new park with her and it's empty. She's going to be barking for 10 minutes. It's just how she <laughs> rolls right now. Um, and so that's like next level prior to her, all my reactive dogs, and I've had quite a few, I could do like a scatter feed or a hand feed or even ask for downs or sits, and they could all do it if I had a food reinforcer there. Mm -hmm. So I could walk my reactive dogs together prior to her. Yeah. But I can't with her because the, if one of the other dogs goes off, it really, really makes her high to the point where I can't get her down and she won't eat mm -hmm. and she's reactive, which changes the game like entirely. Like if you have a dog that if there's a random trigger that you can't expect or predict, and they're not going to be able to even handle food, you really can't walk that dog with the other dogs in your household. No. And if you have reactivity, it's ideal that you're working on it individually. Mm -hmm. If you have multiple dogs. Um, mine, I honestly don't care. Riker is only reactive to intact male German shepherds. That's very specific. That's very specific for him. <laughs> he used to be reactive to a lot of things, kids, stuff, everything else. He's only reactive to intact male German shepherds. However, my neighborhood has three intact wow. male German shepherds. It's a popular breed for your spot. Yeah, we're out in the country. So yeah, it's, <laughs> it's common 
common property, big property guard dog, right? Um, so I will, it's just not worth it to me to train that. And I don't know, he has some trauma there um, with that breed. So I just don't walk him and my younger one, who is mildly dog reactive and same in my neighborhood. I just don't do it. Uh, if I cared enough, if I didn't have a car or if I didn't have access to many other places to walk, then I would train that. But for me, it's priorities. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard in my scenario because sometimes I do have to bring all the dogs to certain mm -hmm. places together. Um, so what I do try to do is walk the one by herself in and around like events or dog shows so that I'm not trying to walk all the Aussies together <laughs> at once, which I normally would do. Um, so it's been, it's taken some tactics. I'm lucky in that I have a partner who does dog sports with me. So we can usually divide and conquer. Like I will give him the well-behaved dogs and I will take the young child who screams. <laughs> and I have found a tactic and I don't recommend this as a training tactic, but for emergencies, I do do this. Um, I can have my older dogs on leash and I can pick up my young one that's reactive and hold her in my arms. And most of the time that stops her reactivity. <laughs> I, I don't have a problem with that. Actually. I think that's a fine management technique. And it works ridiculous, but it works. Yep. So. I don't have a problem with that. As long as everyone's safe and she's not going to redirect onto your face. I wouldn't do that with a dog that no, would do no. that. And she's not going to do that, but I'm, I'm pro picking up dogs. I will pick up if I'm off leash out hiking somewhere and I don't feel like training my dogs and I train my dogs a lot. Like I spend a lot of time training. Sometimes I just don't want to. And yes. in that case, I'll just pick up my dog. Or sometimes you can't like we were, me and Christina were both at a disc dog nationals in Canada <laughs> and it was a really large event and there was dogs everywhere and getting to your start line or your waiting zone it was dog after dog after dog. It was a gauntlet. It was really, really tough on one of my dogs. And I think you had the same experience with one of your dogs where it was just, it's a lot of dogs really close. And some of them are really high aroused. They're very yeah. vocal. Like it's intense. And I did just carry that puppy <laughs> every time and it helped. Yep. And for mine, um, I have one that's anxious about dogs in her space. So for her, I, I literally just stuck a toy or a piece of food in front of her nose. And she's at the point now, which she's three, um, where I could just walk her through. And then my male who gets super hot, I wouldn't call him reactive at all, but he no. gets hot, 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 hot coming off of the field. So I made sure I had a ball there and he could tug from the field through the gauntlet. And that kept his focus on me and not... Um, I, I wasn't worried about him reacting. I was actually worried about how high he was causing other dogs in the gauntlet to react and maybe react onto him. Yes. And that's also what was likely happening. It was just so busy. Oh, and 150 dogs. It was fantastic. Yeah. When we go to these events sometimes and like other people, like if you're at a confirmation show, sometimes those events are crazy busy too. Like there's just dogs everywhere. Mm -hmm. So putting your dog in a covered crate and putting them on a trolley, Totally appropriate. <laughs> Absolutely. Picking your dog up and carrying them, totally appropriate. Giving them, I call it a soother, but you're yep. gonna call it a toy in the <laughs> mouth. I mean, whatever it does to make that dog feel better, because in those moments, we're not training our dogs. We're just trying to survive. And then you can also question, like, why am I doing this with this dog at this time? 
which I did a lot. Um, (laughs) However, when we're trying to train our dogs to be competitors in sports, we need to expose them to those environments. So if it is safe to do so, I think people should. As long as the dog is coping, like I could take the puppy through the gauntlet and then still play her on the field. And she still played. So she was not over a threshold. Yeah. If your dog isn't ready to compete in those environments then they're not ready to compete, but not all parts of it are going to be something trainable like the gauntlet. And it's okay to manage certain parts of it as long as your dog's having fun and being successful for whatever that means for that dog. But as long as your dog's still having fun when you get there and are doing the, the fun part, the part that's supposed to be fun, then it's okay to manage those gauntlet areas or the crating areas. Like I had two X-pens clipped together with two crates inside and I had that inside a tent with sides on it and I had sides on the X-pen. And that's where my dogs hung out. So they couldn't see their two visual barriers between them and all the dogs that were walking by our camping area. Yeah, our camping area worked really well. Um, <laughs> we all had reactive dogs and we were all camping together. <laughs> <laughs> we were, we were great. Yeah. And you know what? We had almost no reactivity at the campsite itself. I can't think of any except for one certain puppy who liked to bark at me when I came close to him. Yes. <laughs> that wasn't my puppy. Well, it was my puppy. My puppy in a different home, puppy. Um, that's the guarding instinct. But no dog to dog reactivity at no. our campsite at all. And no. um, they had a quiet area. The puppies were, were they 12, 13 months? Like it was, it was yeah. a lot. They did excellent. And then yeah. with my setup, my guys, when I did go with one dog to the gauntlet, I just popped the other two in crates um, so that they couldn't, you know, jump out of the X pens. But it was a really nice setup. And so I managed, we all managed our camping areas to set our dogs up for success. They don't have to be okay with just being out and seeing 500 dogs walking past their camps at, well, 150 yeah. dogs. But I will <laughs> say, we all chose to bench away from the field with our dogs, which mm-hmm. gave them a place to go and be quiet. And because we were a larger group of people together who were all pretty dog savvy, we tended to leave someone at the site at any given time with the dogs. Mm -hmm. So they were all being checked on, which was nice too. Versus if we had decided to set up field side, there would have been more noise, more dogs, more stuff happening and possibly less people to check on them. Yeah. My dogs wouldn't have done nearly as well if I set up field side right there, hearing three timers going off, hearing three sets of dogs playing at all times. That would have been harder for them. Um, and then if they stay in that state all day, when they did go out into the field, they wouldn't have likely have done as well. And they did pretty good. Yeah. I, all our dogs did really well, actually. Yeah. Even my puppy in that mm-hmm. environment was getting her personal best scores in yeah. several games. I'm pretty so, sure Max got his personal best too. Aw, we should <laughs> talk about Max just because that's a nice mention. Aw. Tell them about Max. So Max is an 11 year old, 11 and a half, half counts at this age. Um, um, golden retriever, Sheltie lab, border collie mix, half golden retriever. And she is fully blind. She's been blind, fully blind since she was about six. She has PRA. So it started at about three and she is half deaf. Like last night I was eating a snack and my dogs all know that they're like going to get some. So I was eating my snack and I'm like, where's Max? She was about 12 feet away and she didn't hear that we were all eating. 
So her hearing's definitely going. And um, she was reactive when I got her. She was super reactive, dog reactive, frustration. And um, she played at nationals and she played really, 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 really well. And she had one, maybe even two personal bests. Um, She completed time warp. She had an amazing frizz round. She actually didn't come in dead last in several (laughs) games, (laughs) which is pretty awesome for a blind dog playing Frisbee. She did freestyle. Um, Yeah, we had so much fun. And I would go out and I just asked, the first time I took her out, I asked the judge if we were allowed to request the timer be turned down for her because the timer really impacts her ability to track the disc because she's doing it based on her hearing. And um, they did. And then on the next game, Sean, thank you, Sean, uh, came out and said, hey, do you want us to turn the timer down again? And they were super proactive. And the only time game that she struggled with was when I forgot to ask. And so she she had so much fun. I had so much fun playing her. Yeah, yeah it's a huge accomplishment. I mean, that is a a success story. You went from having a reactive dog, a dog that has health concerns, and you were able to go into a challenging environment, have personal success with the dog. Yeah. Yeah. She did fantastic. And this is the dog that we actually had to fight with animal control. They were going to euthanize her for being dangerous. And, and she's now a therapy she's dog not. on top of all that. She's, <laughs> not she's, dangerous. she's not dangerous. She was just untrained and not misunderstood. Um, and that, that's not the case for all dogs. You can't expect all reactive dogs to become therapy dogs competing at nationals and, you know, all that stuff, but, um, she's definitely a success story. Yeah. I I would say this on reactivity as common as frustrating of an issue as it is for most people. I see a lot of successful reactivity cases, like fully resolved. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. Like when we look at other behavior problems dogs have, I would say reactivity is one of the most treatable ones. Yeah. I would take like leash reactivity. I would take that as my number one treatable behavior concern. I think. I think I would do resource guarding first. Yeah. That, that looks pretty high too. <laughs> yeah. Like these definitely super common dog issues. Yeah, we, we can have good outcomes for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I bet you when Christina got Maxie, she did not walk her with the other dogs. <laughs> and now she does. Yeah. Well, when I got Max, my other dogs were older than she was. I had a super stable Mastiff mix and a beyond stable golden retriever. So actually I did walk her with them because they were good role models. And even if she acted up, they wouldn't react, but that I wouldn't. A good, a good thing to have. Mm-hmm. I actually yeah. think I need more golden retrievers to help me raise super solid border collies. Cause I, 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 I credit Toby and Max because he overcame her reactivity, but I credit them with part of why Enzo is so amazing. But Jubilee grew up with Enzo and Max and Riker and, and Riker. Yeah. Once you have a reactive role model, I do think the fact that Navy is reactive has impacted Fable more than I would have liked. I think it's very hard to raise stable dogs in a home with reactivity if you don't start with something like a golden retriever. I think (laughs) I'm biased. I love them. Lots of those too, but I think, you know, some breeds are less predisposed to reactivity, even if they're exposed to it. Whereas some breeds like border collies, Eskimos, Aussies probably are very prone to that social learning. Yes. 
So that's interesting when we talk about social learning, because whenever I've had a golden retriever with reactivity, it has been linked to hypothyroidism mm -hmm. every single that. time. So if you have a breed that is not as commonly known for reactivity, investigating a medical outcome, like a reason sooner rather than later to me would make sense versus when I have an Aussie with reactivity. Yes. I want to met, like make sure they're medically sound, but that's not where I'm going to think first, typically. And, and hypothyroidism is one of the things that is so common in retrievers. Yeah. Um, and it does, it is linked to aggression. So if you have behavior considered concerns, definitely look for the things that are common in your breed that might not be clearly evident. Like, you know, hips, either hips and knee issues too. If you have yeah. like a breed that's predisposed to that, like a lot of the bully breeds really predisposed to hips and knees. If you have issues, make sure you get those checked first because it might be a medical issue. And then, then it's just a matter of treating the medical issue and poof, simple yeah. training and you're, you're on your way. Well, and you found that with Jubilee too. Oh right? yeah. Poor little thing. Yeah. There's sometimes there's a medical cause that's going on. And once you have it under control, you actually see the behavior problem just resolve or work better for training anyway. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When, yeah. when Jubilee's Tommy was giving her problems. I could not leave her. I wouldn't, it wasn't safe for me to leave her in the house unsupervised with any other dogs. Mm -hmm. She had to be fully separated. And now I was gone yesterday for, I don't know, six or seven hours. And I felt completely comfortable with the dogs all loose together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like a whole different dog. Oh yeah. She's so much happier. We're all, we're all so much happier. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It affects all the dogs in the house when one is struggling. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I think we talked about reactivity in a pretty broad way today. And we're going to address it more and more as time mm -hmm. goes on, I'm sure too, but oh, I could just keep going. We're going to stop. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Oh, we should talk about this and this and this. We'll, we'll save those things for another day. <laughs> yeah, there's lots, there's lots more to dive into with this topic for sure. Cause it's really common and it's really frustrating for people and people get embarrassed. And honestly, like, you have to stop being embarrassed when your dog's reactive. It's not because you did anything wrong. No. Sometimes the dog is just having a hard time and you just need to rethink how you're going to handle it. I think that's so important. It is not your fault that your dog's reactive. I yeah. meet so many dogs in horrible situations, horrible situations, and the dog's super stable. Mm -hmm. If it was something you created, I mean, there would be a lot more reactive dogs. I mean, there are a lot now, but you know, yeah. it's not, it's not your fault if your dog is no. reactive. No, there's lots of reasons why they are. <laughs> well, that was a good chat today, Chris. All right. <laughs> we'll talk to you again soon. All right. Have <laughs> a great day. Thanks for listening. I hope you guys enjoyed it. And if you'd like more information, don't forget to check out our website, our Facebook group, our page, and our blog posts.